Hey, everybody. Silent Sam is in the news. We know. Many fine journalists, historians, lawyers, and community members are actively participating in the current conversation, which we are following with interest. The interviews in this final episode were recorded many months ago, and they are not intended as commentary on current events. In fact, the only new content in this episode recorded since the November 27th announcement from UNC's Board of Governors is a brief statement of those facts toward the end of this episode and me saying this. Okay, on with the show. It seemed like I recall maybe seeing some like red paint. And I figured that they were... Um, you know, going to paint something or, you know, there was going to be some sort of like artistic uh, statement. Uh, and But it was going to take more time than that, which is why they had created the barrier. For whatever reason, it never really occurred to me that, that they were, you know, maybe putting a rope or a chain or whatever it was around it and we're going to pull it down. And next thing we knew, we saw a taut rope uh, extending from the top of the statue being pulled on. Within a matter of a handful of seconds, you heard the sound of metal stretching. It sounded like the Titanic, you know, going down or something. It's this creak, this and then and the smell, this kind of this metallic smell, and then it snapped and you know hit the hit the dirt so hard and so fast, uh, it almost seemed surreal that you couldn't believe that it just happened like that. around the front of it to the other side uh, and snapped some photos of uh, the statue face down in the dirt uh, and there was all kinds of celebrating it was just this like visceral like this visceral release of emotion after several minutes it started to rain uh, and I walked up to the Davy poplar tree and sat on the bench and kind of just sat there in the rain watching. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen at UNC. It made like a really mighty sound, fell into the dirt, and we all cheered. What was so emotional about it was this general feeling of everything changed just now that this is like the beginning of the future and that this thing that has been here for, you know, more than a hundred years that shouldn't have been here and that people have been trying to get out of here for a long time was finally gone. And it was a turning point and it was obvious I and mean, it, it brought tears to my eyes as I was sitting there watching it. Land of the free. This is Recollecting Chapel Hill. Community history from the inside out and the bottom up. I'm Danita Mason-Hogans. And I'm Molly Luby. Journalist Mike Ogle, who you just heard along with graduate student and activist Maya Little, said, everything changed just now. We're digging into that idea in this, our final episode in our three-part Silent Sam series. What comes after Silent Sam? This spot I've known uh, 
really sis, I'm a native of Chapel Hill, and we knew about it in elementary and middle school. This is William Thorpe. William Thorpe and I both were five years old in 1972. So William's mom was my kindergarten teacher, Ms. Jean Thorpe. And Jean Thorpe and Foncille Farrington were the first African-American teachers to an integrated classroom. When I think about Thorpe's mother and I think about my mother, this was a time of change in Chapel Hill. And when it really got into consciousness for me was in high school when I learned about that these very rock walls that surround the university were built by slaves. On this campus, this means a different things to us as black folk, but it also means different things to me as um, a daughter of people who put hands on that wall to build right. that wall. Mm -hmm. And the fact is that the university paid the slaves nothing for the hard work of hauling these stones and the, the skill that it required to set them properly in, in place. But the university paid their masters and they, ed they educated the sons of their masters. But the sons of the slaves could not even attend UNC. You have something around for 105 years that impacts us psychologically. And so it's not enough just to remove Silent Sam, as Martin Luther King so eloquently said, as he has the uh, inscription right across the street at the Peace and Justice Plaza. It's true peace. It's not merely the absence of some negative force, but it's the presence of justice. Here's Dr. William Sturkey, a professor at UNC, who you heard in our first Silent Sam episode. It's very clear to me that we have two competing visions for how we move beyond race in the United States of America, or how we better deal with race in the United States of America. There is one group that essentially, after 1965, wants to say, okay, shut the door on that, we're all equal now, everything's fine. Um, as long as we just don't talk about it, then we'll be able to move beyond it. And there, are, there is another group that says, well, let's have some sort of a reckoning, let's have real conversations that might be, that might be more difficult, but will allow for a healing process for all of us that you know, offers a much healthier way to move beyond our history. And in terms of that first approach, one of the things that's so stunning to me is that black Americans are asked to do something that I've never heard of any group of people asked to do, at least not for an extended period of time anywhere in the world. And that's just simply just forget about it. Even though we can measure some real life disparities um, that are rooted in the history of Jim Crow, you know, none of no one, no male in my family um, who were all born in the Jim Crow South ever went to college. And that's, of course, a result of being born in said Jim Crow South. But beyond that, you know, the way that we celebrate the memory of some of these, of some of the people who were monsters in other people's lives, like Julian Carr, whatever you want to say about him, there are people who Julian Carr was the worst thing to ever happen to, the, to them. And the way that African Americans are, you know, told that we should just forget about that as they constantly celebrate these people who made our ancestors lives sometimes a living hell um, i think it's just extraordinary and the fact of the matter is you know one of the reasons that i can see this so clearly now i think is because it's just simply not working you know if you look at dylan roof it's just not working let's try something else that allows us to more fully more fully deal with our past
many of you share my concerns and those of my fellow governors of the UNC system as to what recently happened at the Chapel Hill campus. And this is Tom Goolsby. He's one of 24 voting members of UNC's Board of Governors who hold the responsibility for overall governance of the UNC system. Where a statue was torn down by a violent mob, I want you to know that we will do all we can to work with the trustees and the administration to see to it that the perpetrators are punished, that judgment is sought for their felonious criminal acts. This is a statement that Goolsby released just days after student activists toppled Silent Sam. North Carolina General Statute 100-2.1 requires that the Silent Sam Memorial be placed back on the campus within 90 days of it being pulled down. We will make sure that the laws of our state are enforced. We will do all that we can to protect the students we will do all that we can to keep off the campus people who are committing crimes, and we will preserve the laws of the state of North Carolina. In the days and weeks that followed, UNC officials worked to develop an answer to the question of what to do with Silent Sam. The ultimate fate of the statue will have to meet the approval of the Board of Governors. Here is then-Chancellor Carol Folt presenting to the UNC Board of Trustees. The solution will require us putting the artifacts, that's when we're talking about the bronze statue and the commemorative tablets, in a single purpose building. It was very clear public safety alone would make it impossible to return it to its base or to any outdoor location. So our recommendation is to create, with new construction, uh, a new uh, site on the Odom Village site on campus that would allow us to build a history and um, education center. To do this um, carries costs, you know, roughly uh, costs of about five, 5.3 million is what we calculate to actually build the structure. Last year alone, UNC Chapel Hill spent over $400,000 to protect Silent Sam. It, is, it was estimated at one point that it would cost over $600,000 to continue protecting Silent Sam. And of course, the Chancellor and the Board of Trustees approved this plan to spend over $5 million to build a, a museum for Silent Sam. So we're talking about African-American taxpayers such as myself, right, whose tax dollars go into this project to help fund and protect Confederate monuments when we have actual bodies in the ground whose graves are being trampled and whose lives are not commemorated in any way, um, and we don't get a nickel even put toward sites like the Gear Cemetery. And cemeteries like that exist all across the South, and they have not been funded because of the way that Jim Crow allowed for white people to pick and choose what was going to be protected, what was going to be revered, and what was not. You know, to even have had a proposal to spend $5 million to build a shrine is just sort of boggles the mind. This is Anna Richards, president of the Chapel Hill Carborough NAACP. For that to have gotten all the way to being presented without somebody saying, really? <laughs> this is what we think is the best thing to do. It's amazing to me. Absolutely amazing. Um, so... You know, I I think that, that, again, it should be a space that, that supports what the university says, and, and maybe nothing. 
you know, maybe nothing. I'm I'm not one that thinks that you got to put another thing there because I know some people want something there um, where it was. And um, one of our churches in, uh, here in town uh, tried to, had a service there to consecrate the land to like, you know, kind of purged the land of the memory of the Confederate um, monument um, and and had a vigil there. So, you know, maybe that's a space that that should should just be. I think fundamentally that UNC needs to do three very, very simple things. It needs to study what happened with the history of race in this region. It needs to acknowledge and study and disseminate UNC's connection to the history of race in the region. And it needs to fundamentally say that, look, this was wrong. It needs to offer some sort of a moral judgment or moral guidance. And one of the things that we're just doing is we continue to kick the can down the road. And so we're having these debates now, but we're not having them op you know, openly and in public. We're not adequately employing the expertise of people we pay to be experts. And so it's going to fall upon another generation, I fear, because we're worried about, okay, if we do this, what happens to us? Whereas what we should be doing is saying, how can we leave a better, how can we live a better campus, a better society for those who follow us? So here are a few quick updates on the officials tasked with coming to a resolution over the fate of the statue. In October 2018, two months after the statue was toppled. The University of North Carolina Board of Governors has been in a closed-door emergency meeting right now where UNC System President Margaret Spellings is reportedly stepping down mid-contract. We applaud the recommendation from Chancellor Fulton. Chancellor Folt presented the UNC solution to the Board of Governors in December 2018. This is Board Chair Harry Smith responding to that proposal. However, the UNC Board of Governors cannot support the current recommendation given the concerns about public safety and the use of state funds for a new building or the proposal to extend $5.3 million as cited in the UNC Chapel Hill's report entitled Recommendations for the Disposition and Preservation of the Confederate Monument. Therefore, I'm asking the following board members, Darrell Allison, Jim Holmes, Wendy Murphy, Anna Nelson, and Bob Ruscio, to work in conjunction with Chancellor Fold and the UNC Chapel Hill Board of Trustees to review the options set forth in the report and offer a revised recommendation to the UNC Board of Governors by Friday, March 15, 2019. In January 2019. Breaking news from UNC's campus tops our news at 6 o'clock. UNC Chancellor Carol Folt stepping down at the end of the school year. The university released a statement within the past hour quoting Chancellor Folt and saying now is the time for her to pass on the university's leadership to the next chancellor. Her resignation comes after a bitter battle over what to do with Silent Sam since it's toppling last fall. Now in her announcement today, Folt also said she's authorized the removal of the base and plaque from McCorkle Place. The UNC Board of Trustees is in the middle of an emergency meeting right now. They say they are discussing a confidential personnel issue. This comes four days after Chancellor Carol Folt decided to step down. She wanted to stay on until the end of the year, but the Board of Governors says she must step down at the end of the month. This all came after her decision involving Silent Sam. For more than a year, there's been a heated debate about the fate of Silent Sam on the UNC Chapel Hill campus. 
after it was torn down by student protesters, the university was charged with deciding what to do to comply with the state law that required it be restored. Well, the UNC Board of Governors took charge of making that decision after they didn't like the decision offered by Chancellor Carol Folt and the UNC trustees. Month after month, we hear that a decision has been delayed, and Board of Governors Chair Harry Smith announced this past week it's not going to be made in their May board meeting. The group was given an indefinite extension. And then in November, Harry Smith is announcing his departure from the university system board. This comes less than two months after he said he would step down as chairman, but stay on as a member. So that's how we thought the official portion of this story would end as we went into final production for this episode. But then... We know what will happen to Silent Sam. In a settlement, UNC will give Silent Sam to the sons of Confederate veterans. According to a New York Times article dated November 27th, quote, the university said on Wednesday that it had found a resolution. As part of a settlement with the North Carolina Division of the Sons of Confederate Veterans, a Confederate group that had sued over the statue's fate, the university handed Silent Sam over to the group and said it would fund a $2.5 million trust for its care and preservation, according to a statement released Wednesday. Since that announcement, just before Thanksgiving, students, faculty, community members, members of the Sons of Confederate Veterans, and government officials have been wrestling with the consequences of this agreement. The story is still unfolding, and we just don't know what will happen next. We can't hold up the South as this utopia of being when it enslaved and harmed so many black people, native people, and uh, women. There's another legacy that we don't like to own up to. And as long as we have those symbols like Silent Sam, uh, upholding that narrative and having the power to continue a different type of narrative than the one that is the truth, that's a true reflection of how society was, will always have pushback. It's not necessarily just Silent Sam. It is that people who have been oppressed have a lack of resources and a lack of access to the narrative that counters that greatness of Silent Sam. Well, I wanna know what monument my great-grandfather would have erected if he had the chance. Being in this town and being a poor black person or a low-income black person or a black person, period, and this town being all about a university. This is C.J. Suit, whose family roots run deep in Chapel Hill. And then to go on that college campus and see no representation of yourself or see no space in which you feel like you are highlighted or appreciated or your ancestors who built this space with their hands are appreciated. Like, you don't feel like you have a part of that. It feels separate than actually, like, the city you grew up in. Like, but then it is an identifier for who you are in a major way. And then sometimes how we identify ourselves. Like, I'm a Tar Heel all day, right? Like, I'm a UNC fan. Like, I got a friends who do hip-hop music. We do odes to Tar Heels. And none of them went to the school. None of them could get into school at UNC, you know? Um, 
we just go out when UNC wins the big game and we party on Franklin Street with other people, but there's a chance we'll be policed before students are policed. Or when they find out we're locals versus like students, like, you know, my mom, like growing up, it was, it was just difficult. Um, there were certain places I knew I couldn't go in town because folks who were there didn't look like me and I would be noticed, you know, places, most places in Carborough, period, you know, which is known as like the hippie, the hippie kind of haven around here and progressive liberal spot, you know, places in like downtown Chapel Hill, hanging out on Franklin Street was not a thing my mom allowed us to do, you know, like those are places we were not allowed to be as local people growing up here. C.J. Suit is a performance poet and co-founder of the group The Sacrificial Poets. He was recently named Chapel Hill's first poet laureate. We'll close this week with a performance from C.J. and fellow poet Will McInerney. I've lived my whole life in this town. Played this game of guessing gestures since I was born. I remember the moment Sam and I met. I was seven, he was 83 and standing taller than ever. I looked up to him. Thought he was the coolest thing I had ever seen in my city. I wonder if little German children saw Nazi soldiers the same way. I wonder if the tour groups that take pictures in front of him every day understand what he represents to this city. Understand the implication of honoring a soldier who fought to preserve the institution of slavery over the institution of education. So they named him Sam. To remind them of their destiny, that somewhere beneath their alumni blazes lies a Confederate flag they will one day fasten to lapels. The South shall rise again. Said he was silent because he wears no cartridge box. The trouble is he doesn't have to. So as I stare into the last beaming rays before dust, Sam still stands silent. Chapel Hill still stands silent. And I honestly think they believe there is an ideal harmony between education and skin. And the lower the tone, the more it sounds like the death march before Custer's last stand. They have been playing this game of charades with street signs and symbols, holding on to the Mason-Dixon line with their hand-me-down heritage. Thought they could rename airport after MLK, and we would confuse his silence with nonviolence, but we know. There comes a time when silence is betrayal. And in the city that tolerates his existence, it seems to be the season for treason. Who is really silent? Is it Sam or you? This is our final episode of 2019, and we are so grateful for all of the support and encouragement our little podcast has received. Look for more new content in the new year. View our full list of credits and more in our show notes available at chapelhillhistory.org. While you're there, you can listen to old episodes of the podcast and, of course, subscribe. One very special thank you goes out to Klaus Meyer, our associate producer on all three Silent Sam episodes. We could not have done this without him. Thank you, Klaus. From the Chapel Hill Public Library and the town of Chapel Hill, I'm Danita Mason-Hogans. And I'm Molly Luby. And I'm Klaus Meyer. And, and this is Recollecting, Recollecting Chapel Hill. Hill.